welcome to Board Game Binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Henry Audubon and Chris Kingsnorth from Paper Fork Games. Together, they've launched Cosmoctopus, a board game for one to four players that is truly out of this world. Gentlemen, welcome to the binge. How you doing? Doing great, James. Thanks for having us. Oh, yeah, it is great. fantastic to have you guys. Thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast. Man, you guys both have some really interesting backgrounds that we're going to jump into here. This is, I think, a new one for me. I'm going to actually start with Chris. Um, we were just saying just before we went on air, which blew me away, uh, what was your day job before you started doing board games? Um, so, so I was a pediatric doctor before I started doing board games. A pediatric doctor. And then yeah. you just decided, nah, medicine's not for me. I'm going to get into board games. Like, how did that transition happen? So um, not as quickly as it sounds. It wasn't just like a one day <laughs> decision. But um, I, I've i been sort of into board games, doing some designing, developing stuff for, for a few years in the background uh, in my spare time between night shifts and whatever I could sort of shoehorn into the space that I had I guess and um, it just became more and more of a thing that I was devoting time to and I really really loved and it coincided with the time in my training where I wasn't far off from becoming a consultant Mm -hmm. which I have a couple of friends who are a couple of years ahead of me who had done that and their path and where they were going was the right one for them and I could see they absolutely loved it for me, it started to feel less like what I probably want to end up doing. I like being mm. a junior doctor, but I think that it, there's a certain change that happens later on in the kind of way you have to to run as a consultant. And so I was thinking, well, if I'm going to try doing board game stuff at any point, now's the, the time to do it. So I took a year out of training, applied for that, filled in all the many forms, um, and then, yeah, started as a developer. That's correct. Now, now, were you doing any design or what made you jump straight to development? Because that typically I see people will start off usually with a title they've done. And then that, you know, with the experience from there, that grows into then uh, board game development. Your straight development. Were you working on any other titles before this or were you involved in any kind of game design at all? Or what made you choose kind of the development route? So from my point of view, my major sort of input things was my own designs, which were unpublished designs. I'm not going to lie and say that I designed something like that everyone's going to know because they won't. Um, But also helping develop some other designers games on like a freelance basis. I'd done a couple for for other companies and people who'd seen my stuff on BGG and they said, oh, we like what your way you're designing something. Would you mind coming and help us like do a little bit of design in ours and what it ended up being was more development than actual design if you like um and when i made the decision to kind of come into the board game industry um there happened to be an opening for a developer a 40 minute walk from my house and i mean <laughs> what are the chances of that happening ever especially in the uk because obviously it's a smaller industry in the uk anyway so yeah. um it's pretty niche and uh yeah it just kind of timed right and i was like well if i don't try it now i'll never know basically so um yeah that's kind of how we got got into it and i arrived and a couple of weeks in they said this is henry and the rest is history (laughs) and then henry you've been involved with uh some pretty big titles right uh parks trails space park kingswood to name a few um 
how long have you been designing for? Is this something you've been doing your whole life or what were you doing before that? Well, I was actually also a pediatric doctor. No, just kidding. <laughs> I was a, that would have been crazy. <laughs> it's a bit of a wandering soul. I've always been a gamer. And, um, you know, when I went to college, I developed a real interest in, in philosophy and in mathematics and then kind of got started on an academic path, started uh, into a graduate program in mathematics and was thinking that was going to be what I did with my life. But then uh, eventually I started to just see a gap between the level of passion of me and then the other students in my cohort and just started to reflect on life and try to think about what I really wanted to do with with uh, with my life. And that caused me to really change paths. And I dropped out of my graduate program, started focusing uh, really seriously on designing hobby strategy games. And yeah, that was really the the start of it. Although, I mean, looking back to my childhood, I was always designing games and tinkering things. I was the kind of tabletop RPG game master for my neighborhood group of friends. And I was always interested in different collectible card games, mainly Magic the Gathering, but exploring other ones as well. And then, yeah, I got into hobby games in, in my 20s. And then, as I said, like later on, once I dropped out of academia, I really started going at it, trying to find my way into the industry. And then eventually got connected up with Key Master Games and got Space Park out into the world. And then that one thing leads to another. And now uh, I got connected with Chris uh, more recently. And yeah, we're on to the next thing. So well, that's awesome. So with Paper Fork Games, so is this is this your company, Chris? Or is this a company that two of you are kind of affiliated with? Or how does that structure work? So this is a sister company to another company that does more, as they like to describe them, grown-up stabby adrenaline <laughs> historical games essentially and so my role as the kind of lead developer of paper for is to go down a route where this company kind of does more of your more family friendly lighter yeah. side kind of games with the slightly more um interesting or unusual themes that wouldn't fit with the the product line that the other company has essentially um so within my role i do the development and the many different hats to get kind of a game from a from a prototype to to people's hands essentially we talk about this often on the podcast the importance of being on brand right and uh, it's interesting when you mention this right so there's another company and i don't know if you want to mention the company or not but when you have um a, a game that you launch and i've talked to a lot of uh you know game designers and publishers where they'll launch one game that they're really passionate about and they build a huge audience around and then sometimes they have an idea for another game that's a completely different genre, different target, different audience. And what you'll often run into is almost a little bit of, um, uh, you know, disconnect, right? With the people that you're targeting. Say, so, well, wait a second, I thought you're, as you're saying in your words, a stabby kind of adult grown-up company. What are you doing with this family-friendly game? Like, is there is there a hidden hook I'm not aware of or things like that? And often it's better to kind of split that brand. And say, okay, no, no, this brand is for these types of games, and we're going to do this brand for these types of games. So it's very clear in the consumer's mind what is it they're, they're going to get uh, when yeah. they're uh, buying a game from that particular publisher. So that's pretty, uh, that's pretty clever. Um, so Cosmoctopus, I love the name, by the way. Where did the idea for this game first start? Like, how much LSD were you guys on when you came up <laughs> with this idea? Like, what, where did this come from? I wasn't on any LSD at the time, <laughs> but uh, I was working on 
another game, which was uh, this big open world cyberpunk game that had been this kind of white whale project that I wanted to, to create. Yeah. But um, during the lockdown of 2020, I was just working on this game and started to get really tired of it and tired of taking cyberpunk so seriously. And I started working on a, on a satire of cyberpunk, kind of a parody game. And part of the premise of it was that it was all animals. Um, and instead of corporations, we had uh, crustaceans basically playing that role. And so there were mega crusts and uh, different things. And anyways, it was really bizarre. But what ended up what I ended up thinking about was what it would mean for animals to hack in. Like, what would the Hollywood hacker vision equivalent look like in this really strange parody world that I'd created? And um, as I tried to imagine that, I eventually just started to envision this electric octopus, this kind of laser geometric outline of an octopus. And the vision just wouldn't leave me. And then eventually the the name hit, Cosmoctopus. And then at that point, it, I just knew that that had to be what the project was, was all about. And so I, the whole thing pivoted. I basically scrapped everything that had come before. And now it was all about creating a game around this character of this celestial cephalopod. And... Um, yeah, really. So the the whole project shifted at that point around the name, and so the that was the the starting point for the for what the game is now is was the name. So glad you like it. Uh, it's crazy. It, it it's it's a it's a bizarre looking game, right? It, but in a good way. Like I want to preface this. I mean, I mean that as a compliment. It's it's always cool when you can come across a game concept that feels very different, right? Because uh, I think what we're seeing now in this industry is often you'll see a game and uh, I've got a, a colleague of mine, sometimes I'll put a game idea on, on the table and you'll be like, oh, this reminds me of this game, this game, and this game, and this game. And you'll kind of, you know, pick apart, here's the assembly of games that this represents. And when you can kind of come across a, a, like a game idea or even a theme that's so out there from what people are currently playing, I think that really lends a benefit to you, right? Because it's it's fresh, and it's newest novel, and and, uh, and 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 certainly makes you want to you know learn more. Um, you had another thing I read on your page that you guys are donating money to uh, save octopuses or something like this, or help with uh, some endangered species. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah. So um, what we wanted to do during the Kickstarter campaign was not just to make stuff that people want to buy but somehow make it so that we can kind of support animals in some way um and we thought what better to do than to support you know octopods as this is a game about an octopus and unfortunately there are no space octopuses for us to help but there are plenty plenty of cephalopods on earth who who could do with a bit of a hand so what we're doing through our social goals so no one has to pay anything towards this apart from us is that when we hit certain targets we're actually adopting octopuses um, and so at each level we're adopting octopuses so the money goes to marine research and conservation and then backers get to vote on the name of our octopuses we're currently up to three our first two have been named we've got cosmo quite appropriately and celestia and we've just adopted a third one and backers are making their suggestions uh, about what what names they want to see we've got some absolutely cracking puns coming out cephalopod seems quite a, seth seems quite a, a popular one which i like um, and there's lots of others so that's what we're trying to do just do something where we can give something back that will help kind of marine conservation but doesn't cost the backers anything like we're paying it 
for the for the social goal side of things yeah and i mean i'll, I'll say that you guys have you've hit your goal so congrats on that um i mean you smashed the goal we'll get into that in a second um but what i found very attractive about that um kind of right up in your page was even if we don't hit our goal any money that we kind of generate towards that we're going to still put that towards that cause which i thought was very noble yeah. of you guys um i was reading somewhere else recently several months ago and and it made me think uh, henry if this is part of your inspiration as well of the kind of this space octopus uh, idea um that there's some scientists around the world saying that if aliens had come to earth at some point in the past you know cephalopods could be um could be that creature eggs could have come from another planet landed on earth and you know they've evolved now over millions of years and that could explain why they're so different um, from the, you know, the DNA structure of, uh, pretty much any other creature on earth, uh, as well as the intelligence and so forth around them. Far theory, I know, but I started thinking space octopuses, maybe there's something there. Maybe that's uh, some of the inspiration as well or no. Well, whether their origin is terrestrial or extraterrestrial, I mean, it's fair to say that they are the closest thing that we can encounter to a truly alien intelligence. Yeah. I mean, they're, uh, whole biological makeup is so different than ours. Even the way that their uh, their nerves are distributed throughout their body. I mean, the the kind of consciousness that is enjoyed by an octopus is not uh, located in such a central place as our as our super dense brain. It's more like it's a distributed uh, collection of nerves throughout their tentacles, even. So they have kind of a distributed consciousness throughout their body, with each tentacle maybe enjoying its own kind of vantage point on the world. So I can't speculate about the the true origin of oct octopuses, but I can say that I'm fascinated by um, creatures who experience the world differently than than we do. And part of the inspiration for the game certainly was the fact that the creatures of the deep ocean, well, the deeper you go, the more alien-like they become. Oh, yeah. And that's actually the inspiration for uh, the realm that the game takes place in, which is called the Inky Realm. And basically the idea is that it's, almost where the universe curls back on itself and wraps around, where when you go deep enough into the ocean, uh, the wa the water completely blocks out the sunlight and yep. there's just nothing but darkness and the creatures are so alien, it might as well be outer space. And so by diving deep into the ocean, you go back into the cosmos and maybe the other way too, when you go far enough out into the cosmos, you wrap back underneath the ocean and right at that liminal transitional uh, realm, that's the inky realm and that's where Cosmoctopus bathes and that's really the zone of play in this game so that's awesome well let's talk a little bit about the play so i'm going to show people who are watching either on the replay or live uh your kickstarter page you guys hit uh i'm gonna put this in canadian dollars that's the only way i can see it a hundred and almost nineteen thousand uh dollars on a goal of roughly fourteen thousand so you guys are 10x times your uh <laughs> your goal already still have five days to go um so you have that back end hockey stick which is going to make that number climb uh, significantly more so congrats on that just out of the gate uh you must be pretty happy with that uh with that turnout yeah i think it's been an incredible response whenever you put out any game as famous a brand as you have you never really know what what's going to happen and i think that you know this is our first project as paperfoot games and mm -hmm. it you never know what's going to happen when you hit that launch button you still get that twisted knot in your stomach um but we've been so happy that people have embraced the like the game and the the world and we've got our 
our backers, our devotees in the comments, all really getting into the law and they're like playing their roles as these kind of devotees to the the great Inky one. And I think that that just means a huge amount to me as a kind of like a developer. Um, and I like I love this game. I don't have to convince myself about this, but it's nice to see that they can see what I can see when I play this game, which is great. So shout out to your artist, uh, George. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Is it Dosiopolis? Yeah, it's Dosiopolis. Yeah. Dosiopolis. Uh, a great artwork. It's fun. Uh, it definitely on uh, on theme. Who did the animation? Did George do the animation as well, or did you have someone else do the animation for you? No. So we had um, a 3D animator called uh, Alexi Monado. Yep. So he um, he's actually, that's not his full-time job as far as I'm aware. He's just a bit of a TTS whiz and a, a 3D like videographer yep. um, who offers his services to people. And I, I saw his work a while ago and I was like, if we ever do a 3D video, I'm getting him for this because it's phenomenal. I'm hovering on this image of the octopus with the person's hands outstretched to kind of catch the, you know, the Cosmo octopus, or I guess uh, to worship the Cosmo octopus. It was so clever because as I went across all these um, uh, videos, right? So either preview videos or playthrough videos, you guys provided this animated kind of upfront image uh, in the proper aspect ratio to them. And most of them actually use this as the intro to the video, which I thought was quite clever because you have consistency of uh, of brand going across all those different videos so congrats on that um walk us through how do you play this game can you kind of use descriptive language for those who are just going to be listening and tell us how do you play cosmo octopus sure so when you set up the game the first thing you do is randomly configure the inky realm which is a a collection of action tiles that can get laid out in, in a whole variety of different ways but they get shuffled up and randomized at the start of each game and then you plop Cosmo Octopus's head on one of those action tiles. And at the start of each player's turn, they're going to move Cosmo Octopus to another space in the Inky Realm and take the action that's shown on that tile. So it could be gaining resources. There's four primary resources in our game. There's ink, coins, stars, and whispers. And you also might be able to have the chance to draw some cards into your hand. Um, and there's four card types in the game as well. One one card type kind of per resource, really. There's the scripture that are paid for using ink. The scripture cards allow you to get discounts and other cards for the rest of the game. There's these relics that are paid for using coins, and they give you ongoing benefits that can kind of supercharge your engine. There are hallucinations paid for using whispers. These hallucinations are powerful one-time effects. They'll really pop off and let you have some incredible turns. And then there's the constellations, which are paid for using stars. And these are cards that need to be completed like a star map of the sky as you place different resources into their slots to try to complete the constellation and gain the reward at the end, which always has some, some serious goodies and a tentacle. The point of this game is to try to open a portal to the Inky realm to summon Cosmoctopus uh, to, our, to, to Earth, to our realm. And to do so, you need to gather eight tentacles. And so constellations are one of the main ways to, to gather tentacles. So yeah, I mean, basically this game just comes down to you move Cosmo Octopus, you get some stuff, and then you'll have some cards in your hand. If you have the resources to pay for them, you can play a card from your hand, get a cool effect. And then at the end of your turn, it's just a bit of cleanup of like, if you have more than eight resources of any type or more than eight cards in hand, you have to discard down because there's kind of this sacred limit of eight. We, we don't push too far beyond eight in this game. 
um, because it's a special number to the to the devotees. But if you are brave enough to venture beyond the number eight, there is a tantalizing reward to be found, which are these forbidden knowledge tiles that a person can claim if they're willing to jump all the way up to 13 of the same mm-hmm. resource. You can claim forbidden knowledge, and that's a way to gain two tentacles at the same time. And that's the only way to do that in the game, to kind of get uh, two at once. So that's the gist of the game. The turns are really quick. We're all sharing the same Cosmoctopus head headpiece that moves around the Inky realm. So when I move Cosmoctopus, it changes the state of the board for everyone else. And so we're kind of interacting. We're taking cards from the row. And um, yeah, trying to just create a cool engine for yourself, pull off some exciting combos and try to get to eight tentacles and welcome Cosmoctopus to our reality. How long does it take to play a game? Uh, About an hour or less. I mean, it kind of depends on how quickly players are playing. If you're comfortable with the game, you can really speed through because the turns do not take very long. But um, yeah, I would say it's it's an hour or less. Hour or less, and um, I noticed that there was also a uh, additional mode that was added. In. It's called Private Investigator that turns it into either a co-op or a uh, solo mode. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, I'll, I'll take the baton for this one. Um, so the Private Investigator um, is a small deck of AI cards, and the idea of this uh, this character is that if you're playing in any multiplayer game, you can add them in to change it from a competitive to a cooperative game. And the the idea is that as devout as devotees are, they're going to put aside their differences when they're faced by an external threat. So you're working together to try and keep the secrets of Cosmoctopus away from the private investigator. And it only adds about 20 to 30 seconds per round. It's really, really quick. Uh, and the way that it works is that the PI on his card is investigating a certain type of resource. You have little magnifying glasses you put on the Inky Realm tiles. If you want to go there, you've got to pay him because you've released some sort of secret that he can now see. And when it comes to him, he's going to get a resource that matches every card in the card row. So you've got to be careful about what secrets you leave exposed. Whenever he gets tentacles, he is going to power up. Um, and he's going to essentially, when he gets to five tentacles, have a rule that changes the game. And if he gets to eight tentacles before you all get to eight tentacles, then it's game over for you. So everyone's got to get to eight before the PI does. Um, and there's different difficulties for the private investigator, really easy to change. Um, and as I say, it's a very quick solo mode that's got some real spice to it. Um, and it's exactly the same rules for the solo. So for the solo, you do exactly the same, but it's just you versus the PI. Um, so you have to get to the eight tentacles first, which is nice because it's only one set of rules to both do the solo and the co-op game. Oh, that's cool. And I think I'd be remiss not to mention for those who uh, aren't watching live is that this comes with a lot of minis, right? So that when you talk about the octopus head, I mean, that's that's a plastic mini. The tentacles you guys are placing around the board uh, and every person, I guess, has uh, enough to cover their entire board, I think. Um, those are minis as well, right? That's correct. Yeah. So the Cosmoctopus head is a mini, which is a very like tactile, fun miniature to hold it's got something about it the shape of it it's very cute looking mm-hmm. at the end of your turn it's very important that you turn cosmoctopus to face the next devotee because if they're not paying attention then when they look up from whatever they're doing they can see that the gaze of cosmoctopus has fallen upon them and it's time their time to prove <laughs> themselves and i've seen during play tests people get really into this so they won't take their turn until someone turns it to face them they'll like they'll, they'll be so anxious to have a great turn that they'll 
turn it themselves and other people will be like whoa whoa wait a second um, and it really adds this nice kind of like toy factor to the game um, and this extra kind of mini game of, of banter around the table which is really nice to see well that's awesome uh henry when you created this um and you'd mentioned you kind of is you were kind of retooling as you're going the, the thematically did you have the mechanics of the game already worked out or did it once you landed on cosmo octopus as a theme at that point did that then start dictating the direction you wanted to go with the mechanics yeah it was a fresh start mechanically once okay. i found that all of that prior work of all this thing on another game was really just to find the word Cosmo Octopus. And, <laughs> and then so the whole game pivoted at that point. Everything prior was was scrapped. But I love, I mean, for people who have played some of my other games, I really love like players collaborating to like move a shared piece throughout yeah. a board. Like in my first game, Space Park, I've got these three rockets that players are all moving around. Or in Kingswood, there's adventurers that the different guilds are all kind of sharing to move around. So I love that kind of thing. And Cosmo Octopus is like a very clear distillation of that kind of design pattern of like, now we're just down to one single piece, the head of Cosmo Octopus. And that really brings the attention all onto this character, which I really wanted to do. And as Chris said, like the model for this, uh, the actual plastic piece is so fun to hold that um, that's, that's all I really wanted for this is for players to be able to connect with Cosmo Octopus, grab the head, have a good time, move it around. And we're all interacting uh, through this motion, through the inky realm. So that was that. Was that. And then I, I knew also that I wanted to use, make a card game. I've always loved card games. Like uh, I already mentioned Magic the Gathering and whatnot. Yeah. And one of the things that I love for Magic the Gathering is uh, their idea of the color pie and how the different aspects of the game are very clearly carved up into different different colors and there are certain things that some colors can do that others can't. And I love that real clear, clear definition. And the players can almost identify with certain, certain colors that they enjoy playing. And so when I knew that I wanted to do a card game with combos and stuff for Cosmo Octopus, it was really important for me to have this clear delineation between the different suits of the game, really, between the four colors of cards. And that's where this idea of, okay, I want these constellations that are these crazy star maps and these wild hallucinations and these all these scriptures that we're writing using ink and all this stuff came about. I was just trying to structure things out and, and really push them apart from each other so that each type of card would have its own distinct feel and personality where, you know, players could get into it, identify with what strategic paths they enjoy pursuing in the game and everyone can find just exciting stuff that that resonates for their own taste as a as a gamer no that's cool for um other people who are uh you know budding game designers what's some advice you would give them in terms of how to pitch their idea to a company like i and let me just preface that with are you still pitching to other companies like ongoing i imagine as a designer you probably have many ideas right uh and concept concepts in 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 play um, are you still doing the one-page pitch sheets? Do you have people constantly approaching you? How's that kind of working right now? And then what would be your advice to other designers out there? Yeah, well, I do still pitch to other companies. I'm a freelance designer, so I'm mm -hmm. I'm always trying to find cool projects to work on. Fortunately, recently I've had the the, the privilege of being approached by some publishers and getting some some work to to build out kind of custom games for for different publishers. One game that I'm working on that I'm really excited about is called Flow. You mm. can see a, a banner for it over my shoulder here, but that'll be coming from Pika Games um, early next year, crowdfunding, hopefully. And uh, so that was a game that I was I was asked to create, and it's been a pleasure to work on. So I kind of take both types of projects, projects that originate with me 
and I pitch, and then also projects that I, I make to spec for for publishers. But uh, in the case of Cosmoctopus, this game was, I didn't even really pitch it in person. The game uh, got picked up solely by way of the sell sheet of the one page yeah. Um, yeah, material for the game. And so I put a lot of effort into the into the sheet, um, doing some basic graphic designs. I'm not a graphic designer, but I have some some basic skills with it. And I put a lot of effort into finding the right tone and the right language to to use to describe the game, where I think a, a prospective publisher could read the sheet and maybe have some idea about what angle the game could be marketed from. You know, mm -hmm. what what's the tone? What's the hook? What invites people into this strange, strange world? And so I think there's a lot of value to be had from a good sell sheet and pushing your sell sheet beyond just something that is functional and like, you know, has all the information in the right place into something that is is really evocative of what it's going to be like to play your game. Uh, if you can have your sell sheet be like a movie poster where, you know, you're that's the whole purpose of like, say, a movie poster is a person walks by it, sees it near the theater and they're like oh my gosh i want to go see this i don't even yeah. i didn't even know about this movie but wow look at that it's so anyways that's i think an important and under appreciated um kind of skill set that i think designers can can work on if you're trying to break your way in really there's a lot of gains to be made if you learn the basics of graphic design and especially how typographic posters are made and if you can bring some of that that energy into into your cell sheets you're going to set yourself apart from other people who have boring sell sheets. So absolutely. I would even say a, a tool like Canva, like for people out there that aren't, aren't even graphic designers. I mean, the things you can do even with Canva <laughs> is, uh, is pretty impressive. Right. But I, for me, I think that one page is so critical, not only for the uh, person who's pitching, but also for the, the receiver. And, you know, an example I could give is I, I recently had somebody approach me saying, hey, you know, with your company, Tin Robot Games, do you take do you take submissions? And I said, well, you know, we predominantly do our own games, but we have done other people's games. And yeah, we'll, we'll take a look at it. Can you send me your one page uh, pitch sheet? It's not that the, the pitch sheet was bad. The pitch sheet was actually really good. But what it helped me see very, very quickly was this was not within uh, the, our wheelhouse of what we were looking to do. And so that shorthand allowed me to get back to person and say, hey, you know what, all the best of this, you know, this isn't what kind of we're looking for and we're not wasting each other's time. And I think that's a positive as well, right? Is you want to kind of get to the right publisher for the right type of game. And these one pagers, I think, can often do that. Um, Chris, you know, you guys, uh, in addition to doing an amazing game here, and I'd be remiss not to mention you guys have a plushie as part of your add-ons. This might want to do an Octopush plushie as well. Um, where, where are you going from here? So this is the first kind of one under Paper Fork Games. I'm sure there's going to be more family-friendly games coming forward. Uh, can you tease what's coming next from you guys or what what's what's next on deck? So I, I can say that if you are excited by the kind of gloom and excitement of space, then perhaps the the dark depths of the sea might be something to to keep an eye on. Uh, mm. We've got something in the pipeline that I think is going to be really exciting um, and will fit in with our product line. Um, I'm not announcing anything about it at the moment, but I had a very <laughs> had a very fun time at Essen um playing a couple of games which um i'm very excited about um and other than that i think with cosmoctopus being so popular if it goes well as we expect it to then i would love to be to be revisiting the inky realm and the other possibilities that that this world um has in store for us in, in the future with with some other 
games or expansions in this uh, in this world. Uh, super cool. Well, for anyone out there that wants to check out Cosmo Octopus, you can type in Cosmo Octopus as a search in uh, Kickstarter, you'll find it. Or I'm also going to put a link in the show notes. So if people want to just either if you're watching on the video, there'll be a link below. Uh, if you're listening to it on the audio podcast, go into the show notes, there'll be a link directly to the Kickstarter page. Check it out. Lots of cool things to see, uh, to see there. Uh, Henry, Chris, again, congrats on this campaign. I want to wish you all the best in this coming year on this on this uh, Kickstarter. Uh, I, I know you guys are going to be happy where this finally ends up five days from now. Thanks Thank so much. much. No Thanks worries, for having guys. us. Really Take appreciate care. It. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.